Hello, everybody, and welcome to Motivate Now, a production of the Incentive Research Foundation. I'm Melissa Van Dyke, president of the Incentive Research Foundation, and thank you for joining us today for the IRF Top Performer Study on the financial services sector. For those of you who are not familiar with who we are, the IRF is a nonprofit research foundation. Uh, we've been around for a couple of decades, and during that time, we have dedicated millions of dollars to research and education on the topic of incentives and motivation in the workplace. Uh, we are a foundation, and all of our research and education is available for free at www.theirf.org. So thank you to our research partners at MCI USA and MCI events for supporting us in getting the word out about the top performing financial services sector study. So uh, what do we know about the current market as it exists for non-cash rewards and recognition? Well, the reality is that as of 2016, 84% of all US businesses use non-cash incentives and rewards as a method of retaining and engaging their employees, their salespeople, their channel dealer partners, or their clients. So that means that in the US, the vast majority of US businesses are using non-cash rewards in some manner. Now, what that means to us is that we have to look at different ways of doing research because it's no longer asking the question about if organizations are using non-cash rewards in some manner because the vast majority of them are, but how are they using them and where are they most effective? So this particular study was designed to fill a gap by really looking objectively at non-cash reward strategies and tactics that are used by the top performing companies and providing benchmarks and best practices for organizations. What we tend to do when it comes to benchmarking is we tend to just kind of say, hey, what's the average and what are, what's everybody doing? But the reality is that I have not yet, one executive yet, who said, you know, we really want to be average. We want to know are what those top performing companies are doing and then to look at what their best practices are. So the problem with that, however, is that most of the research with top performing companies today comes from predetermined lists. If you think about the Fortune 500, that is based on metrics. Uh, the only metric is revenue. If you think about best places to work, the only the metrics that they use all really resolve around employees. If you think about the uh, JD Powers, awards, those really revolve around the metrics for customer satisfaction. Um, but what we wanted to do with this particular study is to really focus on all three of those things. So in our data set, in order to be considered, uh, even for the research overall, you had to have at least $100 million in revenue. So out of that $100 million in revenue organizations, then to qualify as a top performing firm, you had to demonstrate super strong performance in 2018, meaning first and foremost that you had to have more than 5% growth in revenue or in stock price in 2018. So that means that you had to show super strong results financially first. As well, on top of just revenues, you also had to have strong performance with customers and strong performance with employees. That means you had to have both 
Um, 90% higher customer satisfaction or loyalty or customer acquisition rates that were greater than 5%. And in addition, you also had to have 90% higher in employee satisfaction or less than a loss rate of 5% per year among your high performing employees. So instead of just looking at one metric, the high performers we're gonna talk about today had to perform well across revenues, customers, and employees. And by the way, the purpose of the survey and the ultimate uh, bifurcation into top performer or average was 100% opaque to our respondents. So they didn't know which group they were gonna be assigned to or that, that, was, that we were even going to look at that as a dimension for this particular study. So this report that we're gonna talk about today summarizes the findings from the data collected for 400 firms. Um, of that 400 firms, 123 of those firms were from, uh, those respondents were from financial firms. 64 of those were classified as average performing firms and 59 of those were considered top performing financial firms. This research, as a note, is a consideration set from three different reports that are being out. We have similar studies that are done in the, the uh, technology space and that are also done in the manufacturing space. But today, we're gonna to talk about financial services sector findings. So what did we find overall about top performing financial service firms? Well, the first thing that we found, and I think this is some of the most important work that we can talk about, and it actually builds on and supports what we have seen for multiple years now in our top performer series of studies, is that executives at top performing financial services firm firms are significantly more likely than those at average performing firms to first and foremost regard their reward and recognition uh, and incentive strategies as a competitive advantage to what they do. They don't just say our executives are willing to do some reward and recognition to remain competitive. Yes, about a quarter of top performers said that. But three quarters of our respondents said that our executives are strong supporters of reward and recognition as a competitive advantage to what we do. And I start here because this is actually uh, makes the remaining information that we're about to talk about uh, much more in focus. Uh, because certainly if you view this as a, as a competitive advantage to what you're doing, you're more likely to make the investments that we're about to talk about. And we saw that in some other areas of the data too. We saw that not only do they look at it as a competitive advantage, top performing uh, organizations in the financial services were more likely to view it as rewards and recognition as a critical tool in managing the performance of the company and that save that reward and recognition were effective retention tools. So they believe it's a competitive advantage they believe it's a critical tool in managing performance, and they believe it's a critical retention tool for what they do in their industry. On top of that, we wanna know, okay, well, how do they design? What do they do differently about their design that we should know about and consider when we're putting together our programs or thinking about their strategies? And there are four really important things that came out from this data that we wanna talk about quickly. Top performing firms in the financial sector are more likely to consolidate, collaborate, control, and reach. So those four things. Top performing firms, again, in the financial services space were more likely to consolidate, collaborate, control, and reach. From a consolidation standpoint, 
Now again, although six, almost 60% of the top performing financial firms maintain multiple programs still and are design, those are designed under a common theme, they are significantly more likely than average firms to have a single program for the entire company. Again, almost 30%, right? So although, again, still common pattern within the financial services space is to have multiple programs connected under a common purpose, you are much more likely in the financial services space to find a single program for the entire company. So that connectivity is much stronger in top performing firms. Again, under collaboration, top performing financial firms are more likely to design and manage programs with strong collaboration across multiple departments. And this makes sense, right? If we're talking about firms who have uh, gone through the effort of connecting all their programs or consolidating into a single program, they're gonna have to have really, really strong collaboration uh, where programs are designed and managed with strong collaboration across multiple departments and divisions in order to make that happen. And yes, that is absolutely what we found in the data with over 70% of top performing financial service firms saying they do so. So top performing firms, more likely to consolidate, more likely to collaborate. And on top of that, they're more likely to say that uh, their non-cash rewards activity is centralized and managed um, with the, uh, first of all, top down, and then also with strict guidelines for um, spending and rewards. So they're, they're very likely to say that managers are, and executives have discretion to purchase and issue some non-cash rewards based on corporate headquarters strict guidelines for spending and rewards um, but they're also more likely to have this centralized effort and management of their programs. And again, this fits very well with what we just saw uh, in them saying that we have either connected or consolidated programs. And then finally, reach. And this is a design pattern that we have seen across top performing firms, regardless of industry, and over multiple years. Um, there's a, there are two main dichotomies that exist or ways of thinking about non-cash rewards and recognition uh, traditionally. Uh, and the first one is um, that rewards and recognition is really only about rewarding and recognizing truly exceptional performance as we see it happen or after, uh, after the results are clear. But what we see consistently in top performing firms is they take a very different view. And we see that here again in financial services. Financial services firms were significantly, the top performing firms were significantly more likely to say, we structure our programs with the goal of each participant receiving a recognition or reward during the program. So their focus is really on reach versus only focusing on truly exceptional performance. And you can see that in some of the design patterns that we're about to talk about here quickly. So we wanna know how does that play out then in the individual types of programs? There are an immense number of findings that you will see both in the paper and in the supporting web deck, uh, PowerPoint deck that is available online. But we wanna hit on some of these findings really, really quickly to give you a taste of the types of design patterns that top performing firms are using. And the first one uh, is really about budgeting. Top performing financial services firms um, calculate 8.2% of participant income as the appropriate annual spend for non-cash rewards and recognition 
but they're also um, significantly more likely to say that their budgets are created bottom up, calculating the appropriate investment as a percentage of the participant's income, right? So when we, when we see that financial services firms are absolutely dedicated, they view these programs as a competitive advantage, it is not surprising to see that half of them say, we, we don't necessarily look top down and just kind of go year over year with our budgets. We actually calculate how much we should be investing in these programs as a percentage of our participants' income. And again, for top performing firms, um, that was about 8.2% of uh, sales uh, performer's income. Now, that is not drastically different from the average performers, but I think what's interesting is that it is much more likely to be budgeted uh, from the bottom up versus top down. So secondly, um, we see that top performing firms in uh, the U.S. are much more likely to invest more in these programs. And again, that fits uh, very well with, again, that competitive advantage uh, discussion we were just having. So for incentive trip values, the average award value is $6,438 for top performing sales incentive trip earners. So uh, more than $1,000, um, almost $2,000 more than what we see the spend is in average performing firms. Um, and actually, when you look at the uh, amounts that are paid out for or that are budgeted for merchandise, gift card, and point programs as well, as you will see in the report, top performing financial service firms as well award a value of $3,646 on average to top performing individuals in the non-travel programs. But we saw some other really interesting dynamics as it came to top performing um, incentive trips um, as well. First of all, um, we were much more likely to see that sales that salespeople in these top performer incentive trips um, automatically earn based on achievement of predefined goals. That their ranking um, is a ma or mathematical calculation of their performance. Once they hit it, they automatically win uh, or earn based on um, that predefined goal that there is much less chance that there is a selection by committee um, or some other outside influence that also is in the consideration set. Uh, it's kind of a hit and win mentality, which actually fits very well with what we know from behavioral economics in terms of how uh, when individuals know that an income, that an outcome is positive, immediate, and certain, they are more likely to engage in the goal. And that's what we see here coming out in how top performing firms um, think about their achievement and uh, recognition of earners. What we find in interesting as well is that um, as we talked about before, it's not just about the top performing in the organization. Um, in these top performing financial services firms, reach again is so critical. The programs were more likely to have tiered reward programs offering both top performer travel awards and including award points, gift cards, and merchandise for those salespeople who uh, did not earn the top performer trip.
And that's just a couple of the findings. Again, I encourage you to go out to the website and take a look at the full findings um, because again, there was quite a bit uh, of additional design patterns we saw for sales. But what did we find out about channel and employee programs as well? Well, first and foremost, um, there are similar design patterns in channel that we saw in sales. We expected to see a little bit difference in what top performers did versus uh, average performing firms. And we actually found quite a bit that they did differently. So just as a couple of thought starters here, um, as you can see here, significant difference in the value of the top reward a salesperson can earn. $7,500 per person for a channel program, significantly more actually than the sales, uh, uh, the sales programs. So $7,500 for top performer channel programs versus $5,000 for average performing firms. And you know what I think is most fascinating about that overall um, is that these, these channel partners are um, significantly more likely to have a variable number of winners. So the channel partner incentive programs at these top performing financial services firms were more likely than those at, at average performing firms to reward a variable number of trip winners based on the actual sales performance. So not only uh, do they have higher amounts that they're investing, um, they're more likely to say that is left open to variance based on the number who actually earn. And we see um, uh, lots of similarities around um, how those business objective objectives play out between average and top performing firms. You know, there is, when it comes to why these programs are being run within uh, financial services organizations, equally likely amongst average and top performing firms to say product or brand awareness was important, that customer loyalty and satisfaction was important. But where we saw significant difference um, were in things in sales and market share for top performing firms. Um, again, the sales and marketing share reigns supreme as to why these programs um, are still being run. And they're actually less likely than average performing firms to say it's about gathering insights in the channel. For top performing firms, these programs, the primary objectives are really sales and marketing share and then a way to say uh, thank you to their channel customers and to promote loyalty and satisfaction or, or quickly behind that product or brand awareness and preference in the, the offerings portfolio. And then finally, we, we would certainly be remiss not to uh, take a look at employee programs as they are a primary offering within financial services firms within the US. Um, so we did see a couple of, of differences in the data uh, that we want to talk on, talk about quickly, but again, there are a number of findings available in the deep report, and I encourage you to take a look at those. Um, first and foremost, um, the percent of employee earning rewards, and I think this is so encouraging. Um, when we asked what percent of your employees do you expect to earn non-cash rewards, focusing on these employee programs, um, our, our firms came back and said 35% of top performing firms sorry, the top performing firms at 35% of our employees. That's how many we expect uh, to earn non-cash awards. Now we, we have a goal of reaching as many as possible, right? That's how our programs are structured. Um, but we anticipate that about a third of them will actually earn in our programs. And, you know, it's whereas the amounts are close to being equal, 
$431, um, the average earnings for points and gift cards and merchandise for top performers and top performing firms and $120 uh, in for average employees. Um, these top performing firms are still rewarding and recognizing a larger percentage in the end of their employee population. Uh, likewise, for any incentive trips that they might have for employees, the uh, for all employees, the investments are a little bit higher, um, not significantly higher, um, only minorly, but they're also looking at a much larger population who is being rewarded and recognized. Um, those are again, just a few of the high level findings that we had in these top performing studies for financial services. Um, we have similar studies for technology and for manufacturing coming down the pike. I encourage you to go out and take a look at those. All of our latest research is available at www.theirf.org. And likewise, out on LinkedIn, if you have questions or would like to engage with us in conversation, please go to our website and look under new to IRF communities and sign up for our LinkedIn communities uh, where we are actively uh, moderating a number of conversations around these findings as well as many others. Again, I would be remiss not to thank MCI USA at www.mcievents.com and thank them for their support as a research advocacy partner to the IRF in getting the word out about this study. Thank you for joining us for Motivate Now, and I look forward to seeing you at a future IRF event for webinar.